0: I'm going to put different colored scorpions in a fedora. (laughs) Well, snakes in colored (laughs) sand, sure, yeah. And the the first snake that bites you determines Mm -hmm. what
1: happens. (laughs) Right. Different game.
0: We'll get to that later.
1: My name is Will Hindmarch. I'm a writer, narrative designer, graphic designer, and game
0: designer. My name is Nathan Palletta. I'm a game designer, self-publisher, and graphic artist. Nathan, it's nice to see you. What do you want to talk about on the Design Games podcast this time? This time we're talking about how we start thinking about the final form factor of our game, even while we're still finishing up the actual design part. All right, I think I have something here with this game. I'm going to turn it into a thing. That is a non-straightforward endeavor. However, there is a point where you make that decision, where you go, I have this game, I've done whatever amount of testing and playstorming and revision and reflection upon my inspiration and making principal decisions about what to include and what not to include. I think I have something here. I want to get it out into the world so that other people can enjoy it. When you hit that stage, what are the things that you have, whether as a literal or maybe a mental checklist or set of decisions to make about that final thing do you have a methodology for like all right this is going to be a book or it's not going to be a book it's going to be a soft cover it's not going to be a soft cover it's going to need this or this or this or is that more emergent out of the production process or how do you go about right making on. those decisions
1: yeah that's a i mean that's a that's a big big question right and i know you mm-hmm. and i both i think approach this in in not just different ways like from each other but in sense of for different projects in different ways yeah different games have different kind of methods but the one that i do when i don't have vision that specifically comes to me early that says this game and it will be a book and it will be six by nine and it'll be about 200 pages. Like I know what it's gonna feel like in the hand. I know how big I want it to, how much I want it to thud when it hits the table. I know how much, it, if it's a tome or if it's go Yeah, yeah sometimes
0: bag, that happens where early on in the process you're like, I know what this is gonna be. Yeah. Or one of my design goals is for this to be right. X. Right, to be something that that both is
1: easy to learn and looks easy to learn from the size of the book, mm-hmm. stuff like that. Um, so when I don't have one of those, and even when I do, I still usually do the first part of this, Is I sit down, and similar to when I write the example of play, I write the, to play this game you need. Mm, yeah. And what I do is I do the list of stuff that you need, and I go crazy with it. Like, I think literally, like, you'll want paper clips. Like, I get as specific <laughs> as I can, in part because then I find it very useful to cross stuff off that list. And I do mm. that in one of two ways. One is that I go... Okay, well, I don't need to tell you that paper clips are useful for holding character sheets together or whatever. The world is full of stuff. I'm not the boss of you. do what you want. But part of it is the benefit of knowing that I that, that we are creating games today in first of all a era of plenty. Yeah. People have pawns and play money if they need it. They can get it. It's not on me to make those things necessarily for for certain games. But also that it is an era of plenty in the sense that it's not like they're going to have so much trouble finding paper clips that I probably have to put them in a Ziploc bag in the in the book. Right. So, what I like, I find it very helpful to be able to both identify and then cross off the stuff that is like not my problem to create. Am mm-hmm. I still going in the list in the book that I say, to play this game, you're going to need three six-sided dice? I'm not giving you those. You're going to need pencils. There's no pencils in this book. There's no pencils in this box. There's no pencils in this deck of cards, whatever. But the first thing I do is I go nuts in that list and I just list everything. And the other thing is I think, what do I actually want to be able to design, what has to be different from the thing that might just be randomly found? Mm, is it yeah. important that it's not a deck of regular bicycle playing cards? Is it important that the dice be in these three colors? It is important that they have sigils on them? Is it important that, they, that the game be played with coins from a magical fantasy realm? These kind of questions. And then I still cross stuff off because two ways to look at it. If I'm not willing to accept players who can't get the magical coins mm-hmm. or... If I'm not willing to lose the players who can't, which is same same question, right, but in a different way. If it's like, I, I want everybody to be able to play this game, whether they can get magical coins or not. Mm-hmm. This game needs six-siders, but you can play it with American quarters or Euro coins or you know whatever your country's kind of two denominations, a mm-hmm. big coin and a little coin. You can do that, that's fine. And realizing, to me, that those are non-exclusive is a thing that I have to do almost every game I create, is that I go, it would be cool to have I want cards yeah. to do this thing. And I go, but some countries you can get index cards will do that. Some, and Maybe I'll provide a PDF with dotted lines so they can easily cut a piece of paper into six cards, whatever. Right. Um, and realizing that you're not always giving up the opportunity to make a sweet specific thing, mm-hmm. but that find out what actually is and is not required. I think required.
0: there's kind of the idea of kind of the necessity version or yeah. the kind of minimum minimum viable version. I think it was the right? DIY, yeah. Yeah, versus the deluxe or yeah. you know whatever version Yeah. where it's like, yes, in a perfect world, uh, I will have custom metal tokens made to look like coins from this fantasy realm. Right. And I will have these octagonal note cards because the eight sides all correspond to the eight directions of magic and right. you draw an arrow towards them to, you know, indicate something a, in the game. But you I, could I don't also, have an
1: original soundtrack made by my favorite musical artist. Right.
0: Yeah. <laughs> like, and that's all nice. And that, you know, in, in the landscape we live in now where that's kind of like Kickstarter goal or Kickstarter stretch goal, maybe. Just, fun transmedia cooperation stuff. Yeah, yeah, or something. Yeah. But the divining the minimum viable version or the DIY version like yeah. if someone prints out this PDF and it has a quarter and a penny right. and 3D6 that's what that's what you actually need to make the game work and then the other stuff can add valuable dimensions to the play experience. Exactly. But there, there's a minimum bar at which the game can be played with whatever you're going to produce for it. When I attempt to estimate the
1: minimum mm. without making a list that goes beyond the minimum, yeah, I find two things happen. One of two things always happens. Often both they happen. Either I have forgotten something that is required in the minimum, even mm. if it's as simple as I forget to tell people that they are going to want pens and pencils when they're actually playing or that I don't feel like I have actually reached the minimum because I haven't seen myself reject something that would be cool, but. And so if, for me personally, that process in which I say pennies and quarters instead of, instead of fake coins or cool campaign coin style homebrew yeah. coins, if I can't see the difference on a list or mm-hmm. in, a, in a pile of ingredients or something, then I don't trust that I have boiled it down as far as it'll go. Mm. A- am I actually working with the minimum or am I still assuming something that is going to keep somebody from being able to play that should be able to play? Mm. I take that and I go back and I visualize that game as a product in somebody's table somewhere. Mm-hmm. And I consider what part of the design, therefore, is really still essential. Like, is it essential that there, are, that there are that I use two different kinds of ink? Or can I just design the character sheet so that that's not necessary? Right. This, yeah. this, is, this is one of my last kind of checkpoints on the game design mm-hmm. is where I say, but what is really essential? If I find out that, yeah. that you can't get index cards mm-hmm. in half the country, in half the countries on Earth, and apparently index cards are not nearly as universal as I thought they were.
0: Yeah. They're apparently a very uh, American... And so I find uh, it makes me think uh,
1: I can easily provide people with you know uh, with lines right. dotted lines in a PDF but or also, but, right. but if it's it, it doesn't it mean that I have to give something up or that I should add a page to the PDF mm. now is a good time to find that out.
0: Yeah. Sometimes the production considerations for your game end up feeding back into the game design to design something in or out so that you do or don't need something on the production end. Yeah. I generally start with this kind of minimum viable idea and discover cool additional things as I go.
1: Yeah. I think especially for us in the RPG space, that's that's because so much of what's actually essential is, is pretty is, minimal. Is pretty minimal. Yeah.
0: Often what, what ends up making that list is when I'm running the game, whether it's playtests or kind of later stage, just like running it to kind of shake it out and get the final bits in place, finding out what I end up bringing to the table and then deciding like, oh, is this something that... I'm bringing because I happen to have it and it's a nice little extra or is it something that is actually really adding to something to the game and therefore, you know, you need a thing. Are you being literal or literal and figurative when you say that? When mm. you say bring to literal. the table. Yeah. Literal. So
1: like I have these mini poker chips. Yeah. They like, could be anything, but I love my little mini poker
0: chips. Yeah, yeah. Like for a Mask of the Mummy Kings, like I have these little floral bowls. They're little settings for doing a like a centerpiece in that hmm. I Cool. Have left over from when I worked in that industry. And they have this kind of like rounded kind of edge on them, this rough, irregular rounded edge. I use those for what's called the Well of Treasures in the Mask of the Mommy Kings, which is what you use to randomize tokens in. And actually, using that drove me to the name the Well of Treasures, because okay. like that's kind of how it felt to me. But functionally, right, the, the minimum functional version is anything you can blind draw out of so it could be a bag it could be a hat it could be a bowl it could be mixing them up and everyone close your eyes Mm -hmm. you know in the middle of the table the functional version is a random draw of tokens that are differentiable by sight but not by touch Mm -hmm. so poker i use poker chips and they're clay poker chips and they're in the ceramic bowl so like it has this nice clunky kind of raspy sound to them but they could be two different colors of glass beads in a cloth bag. Right. And that's one of those things that if,
1: if prior to now you were doing it always the same way, which would be fine in your playtest, mm-hmm. you're like, I, always, I use glass beads in a hat, whatever. This is a point where for me, which is why I use this as a kind of a design check, is that I realize I love the the clay chips in the well of treasures, in the bowl. Am I adding or subtracting from somebody's ability to access the game by being specific about it? Right. And part of it is, no, if somebody decides I'm, I'm going to use the same poker chips, but in a fedora mm-hmm. because I want it to be like, a turn of the century, you know...
0: If it's like an Indiana Jones version.
1: An Indiana Jones yeah. type thing or whatever, right? You're like, yeah, that's an easy one. I'm just you just it put- a slightly different vibe.
0: No, but yeah. So like, obviously, I think it's silly to be like, you have to use this kind of bowl and these kinds of chips. I don't think that... Right, right right. Specificity adds to the play experience enough to be like, no, you can't play this game unless you do this thing. Right. But uh, as a metaphor for the idea, of course you're not going to try to package and, and ship balls right, to people. Right. <laughs> exactly. Like what I'm actually shipping to people is a book, yeah. right, with a PDF that you print out and you have to cut in half for the the mask sheets and everything else is like you need to procure You know, the tokens and the well and anything you want if you want to draw a map or any of that stuff. Right.
1: And that stuff that is simultaneously essential to the game, having that as a resolution mechanic for the well of treasures. So that was an easy line to draw. I'm not going to manufacture, brand, and sell bowls to people. Right. I'm not going to make my own poker chips. Right. Was there something either in this game or in another one for you that was a harder line to draw between I'm going to do this and I'm not going to do that. Or like, actually, and this is even a question for do you have any games that, that you're like, it almost wasn't a book, but, or it almost wasn't, you know, mm. a single sheet like uh, mm. uh death of the gilded age and mm. stuff.
0: Well, I think death of the gilded age is an example of something where the form factor works against its transmission into the world. Mm. Cause it's a 12 by 18 inch poster. And not only does that not visually read as a game, mm. To most people also it's kind of hard to it's hard to transport kind of hard it's, it's expensive to ship because it's right. a big sheet of paper it's hard to store yeah it's kind of hard it's to a- store well the idea is you it's a poster you put it up on your wall but yes not everyone has wall space or wants to display that kind of thing or whatever but yeah so it's hard to ship it's kind of like a weird thing to store it's a little hard to explain all that kind of stuff but like the design goal was here's a thing you put it on the table you have a deck of cards which you provide mm-hmm. and that's everything you need for the game. Right. And if you're not playing the game, you can display it like a poster because it's a, you know, an art Art Nouveau style poster on the other side.
1: Yeah. I love that form factor not only because its distinctiveness makes it so that you come to the game with questions in your mind with so how does this work? This is it. I've never seen this before, mm-hmm. which I think helps with the notion that you're playing a period piece. Mm-hmm. But also with the fact that you're shedding conceptions or preconceptions kind of right away of from the gaminess aspect and are open to this game is going to ask me to do things or think in a certain way that might be different from other board games or other RPGs yeah. and so you arrive at a nice you, you're kind of refreshed by it you're kind of you arrive mm-hmm. sort of sort of open to the idea of okay so i'm going to receive what this game asks me to do and right. not bring a lot of preconceptions to it
0: yeah which is great and i think when people play it they Enjoy it and get it and, you know, have a good time. But I think less people play it than they would otherwise because of the form it's in. And that's a trade off that I made. There is a print and play version. And that's actually what I see people playing more. Like if someone posts, I'm like, oh, I played this game and there's a picture. It's often the print and play version, which is four sheets of printer paper that oh, have cool. the same information and you print those out and put those on the table instead of having the one big poster. Right Because I guess that's probably more accessible for people, you know, to to download and print that than to order this big poster right. and have it sitting around. To what
1: extent do you consider also the role of the product, not just in its relationship to the game that you're or the vision for the game that you're working on, but in its relationship to you as a producer or your game company or you as a debut. Like in other words, is the value of of somebody's first game being, a one-page double-sided PDF that is a rollicking adventure in 500 words or a game that fits on a business card or a game that fits in a matchbook or a game that is dice in three tweets or that is all written in haiku. You know what I mean? Like these kind of things that, that, mm-hmm. that affect the form factor and that one of the aspects in which that gets regarded or accessed by the audience is not just say, our perception of what a RPG or a story game or a parlor game or a card game or whatever is, just a game, but also a new game with a new form factor from a new artist versus a new game with a new form factor from somebody who I associate with making big, you know, full-color books or whatever. How much do you, do you consider that kind of meta-narrative, the mm-hmm. sort of meta-role of the product in the designer's history when you think about it?
0: For me, that has become more of a consideration over time. I think when you're doing your, you know, your early work, the game itself really should drive whatever it's going to be. Mm -hmm. I don't think there's any reason for you to necessarily be like, all right, I have this, I have this game. That's three tweets. I'm going to fit it into a 200 page book. (laughs) Right. That, probably isn't going to serve you or vice versa. I have this game that my design notes for it could be a 200 page book, but I'm going to get it down to a business card because right. I don't think people are going to want a big new book from a new person. It should be small, but whatever. Like I think underserving the game is never the right choice. That's a great way to put it, yeah. But over time, as you kind of build up a, not only a catalog of work, but also a a vocabulary for mm. your catalog, the vocabulary in which you design. You can start using production concerns as one of the inspirations and one of the limiting in fact, one of the creative constraints yeah. of your work. And in that way, I think it becomes more of an issue over time. Like, for example, when I was working on worldwide wrestling and I felt like I really had something, it was important to me that the book be a very accessible object to the kind of quote unquote mass market of, you know, the audience that it was likely to see it. Um, which means it's a digest-sized cover with a reasonable price point with a nice clear spine and branding and a barcode and like right. stuff that makes it sit comfortably on a shelf with other books and other games that are of a similar style. It was important to me that it kind of transmit this idea of like, oh, this is quote-unquote professional. This exists in a space I already understand. This fits on my shelf with these other books that I already like and appreciate. It's in conversation with these other books. They can all sit together. Yeah. I know what I'm getting when I pick it up. There's enough coding to it that I know what kind of thing I'm picking up. That's kind of diametrically opposed to death of the gilded age where it's like at conventions where I have it like selling it at a table, I usually have to say, "Oh, that's a game," right? Because people look at it because it has a visual attractiveness to it, but I have to verbally explain, oh, Mm. it's a game. Look at this part. That's where the game is. And they go, oh. uh, (laughs) Right, right. right. It's just not, it doesn't have any of that cultural or visual coding. So yeah, so I think if your goal is, you know, at some point to be producing a line of 300-page glossy hardcover books, you're going to at some point have to take that into consideration in your design stage of like, I need to design games that fit into that format.
1: Mm. I agree with all that completely. I love the, the notion of your vocabulary of design how you're building that over time. And that's one of the reasons why, to me, my instinct is that not necessarily subscribing to pre- preconceived notions of what a little game is, but mm-hmm. I think that in the same way that you don't write a novel, you write your first chapter and then mm-hmm. you write another chapter and you write another mm-hmm. chapter. I think it's really important too that your first game be something that is achievable and deliverable and that people are going to to feel comfortable taking a chance on mm-hmm. whether they know it's your first game or not, but it's their first game from you. Yeah, One of the nice things about the attention on a game designer now, as opposed to some of the ways that it's been in some industries, some aspects of game design in the past, is that there's more notion of almost authorship in game design, where you say, oh, mm-hmm. that's a game by Eric Lang. You know, I want to play that. Uh, that's a, a game by Emily Care Boss. I will buy it. Right. Automatically. But that notion of if your first game is a 600-page, $70 book, mm-hmm. first of all, not only is that in its relationship with the audience going to be a $70 question mark for the mm-hmm. audience. Like they have to love the game idea right. and not give a damn about the, the byline. Mm-hmm. They want to just be like, I need that game. Mm-hmm. I'm going to play the hell out of that. You're only going to catch the people pr- potentially who are already $70 in, who are, right. who are love the idea by $70 amount. But the other thing is that a giant six hundred page, let's say, full color hardback worth that costs seventy dollars. You would—that's by the way, six hundred pages. It should cost more than that. But um, uh, our, I like how our big game has been inflating. It was two hundred pages. Right, that's like, what three, I'm. Blo- yeah, now no we're right. at six hundred. So that your giant full color book has questions now. Like you have to learn you 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 have to expand your vocabulary by a certain amount before you can make your first game. Right. Yeah. Now you, you have to
0: learn how mm-hmm, you have to figure out the production questions all kinds of production questions. how do you get the, that printed what kind of cover do you need it like what kind of art do you need for that kind of cover yeah how much is that going to cost to ship
1: unless you know how to do things like spine width right um if you unless you want to ship that whole thing right unless you know things about cmyk ink coverage and or are excited to learn about it right these are things that your hurdles you're putting before yourself mm-hmm.
0: that maybe you don't want to do them all at once So there's, there's kind of two intertwined issues here, right? Mm. One is, what is the form factor that is going to best suit your project? And a lot of the time, I mean, we be also, because they're kind of better for points of illustration, we talk about some of the more exotic form factors. Yeah. But, you know, for a whole lot of games and a whole lot of books, the best form factor is a a PDF that someone can print or or put on their tablet and mm-hmm. bring to game night or a half-size or full-size black-and-white soft cover book that can be print on demand printed through drive through rpg because mm-hmm. that's where people go to look for games you know a lot of the time or some other standard size book that you can get printed in china you know do an offset print run right ship here and then enter into distribution those are good solutions most books do those most games yeah. enter into one or a combination of those form factors so Unless you have some other principles driving your decision of form factor, there's nothing wrong with just saying like, it's going to be a book that looks like this other kind of book that I think is good. Right. Right. I really like how bubblegum shoe looks. Yeah. So I'm going to, you know, look at my copy and measure it and be like, oh, so that's the size it is. Maybe email someone associated with it asking about production questions like, hey, where'd you get this printed? Which you can do. People are friendly and will probably
1: respond. One of the uh, the great ways to get that kind of information too and to consider your options is look at the publisher information at uh, yeah. RPG and look at the different form factors that they have ready for POD. Mm-hmm. If
0: only because those are wheels you don't have to reinvent.
1: Exactly. And there yeah. are weird ones in there that people don't use a lot of. You could get oh, both yeah. a little bit of an eye-catching, like a square book. Yeah, you
0: can do square book. You can do uh, graphic novel size that's a little bigger than most of the yeah. like six by nine books, but smaller than full size. Yeah, so you can, you can just model on something that you like. Reach out to the people who are involved with production. If you have questions, you can choose a delivery vehicle like drive-through and see what the options are, and basically just walk through their process because they make it very reasonable to ask questions and get answers and figure out that process. Or you can, you know, dive into the the end of researching like local printers or non-local, you know, printers. Whatever, do the get quotes and stuff. But right. kind of the 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 basic idea of. Let your game determine what the form is going to be. But if the game isn't determining what the form is going to be, which is the case a lot of the time, then pick something that you know you like or is easy. Pick things that are not going to put barriers in front of you, like you were saying with just yeah. adding hurdles. You know, lower, lower your hurdles because the goal is to get the game out there. And you can always build on success, right? Like you can always do another version or second edition or whatever once you've learned the lessons of the first one. Because I think that's been my experience is that every project gives me the ability to make better choices about the next project. Right. And maybe the next project is revising the first project and that's fine. But uh, yeah, I guess just it's easy to get lost in this stuff, especially when there's so much information about it Mm -hmm. that just giving yourself constraints... is sometimes the easiest way to uh, clear yourself a path towards fulfillment, towards finishing. There's also
1: a fair amount of misinformation, and I can't run down, obviously, all that stuff. But for example, I hear misconceptions that, you know, I mean, yes, probably the best-selling, I haven't checked the the most recent, for example, ICV-2 numbers, when they report the top five best-selling RPGs, but they're Mm -hmm. almost always full-color hardbacks. Yeah, And that's great. But it's not like the margin between, I think, RPG number five and RPG number seven like the difference in sales numbers, if RPG number seven is a black and white soft cover, mm-hmm. first of all, if that's the only reason you're trying to sell RPGs, then then may I introduce you to selling <laughs> almost anything else. But there's right. also <laughs> there are um, other there
0: are other businesses you might want to get into if your goal is to make money.
1: It doesn't mean that your first RPG has to look like Green Wings Dragon Age RPG, which is mm-hmm. a giant, beautiful hardcover book that is itself learned from and honed from and inspired by. First of all the video games, and the three box sets they did, right? That, that book itself is a great example of a series of decisions and a series of form factors and a series of opportunities mm-hmm. to arrive at this giant, beautiful book. But it's also half the games that I love that came out in the last five or six years, I don't like them despite them being black and white soft covers or despite them being six by nine. I really like that form factor, Yeah. right? There's a misapprehension that success in RPGs, therefore, because of sales numbers or because of proper licensed mm-hmm. properties or whatever, looks like full-color photos of actors in costume or full color concept art in a giant glossy hardback. An example of form factor that I think is really exciting and telling is that you look at like the nice Black Agents books, mm-hmm. Jason Bourne versus Dracula, um, Spies versus Vampires. And the core book is a nice, solid hardcover with glossy pages and beautiful art. But then when it comes, comes time to do the Dracula dossier, their version of Dracula, which is an annotated version of Dracula with new text put into it, mm-hmm. the actual original novel by Bram Stoker with new additional writing added to it, that's not a giant full-color glossy book, because first of all, that's not what that book needs. And second of all, because as an artifact, it should be laid out fairly like a novel with some colorful annotations, but that don't look like the CIA hired a bunch of illustrators to annotate Dracula. (laughs) And it's still a beautiful book. And then you look at something like the, the playbooks for Apocalypse World, which are essentially just pieces of black and white legal paper expertly laid out so that they fold and handle really nicely. They're both correct for the game and they're inventive, but it's not like they had to invent a paper size for it. They're not full color. They're not particularly mean on your printer. Mm -hmm. All those sorts of things that are right for the game and align with the vision of the designer and are successful in realizing that game without necessarily just doing whatever the quote-unquote blockbuster is supposedly doing right now. Mm-hmm. I'm a big believer in that. I think that if your first game that you're like, well, what it should really be is it should be my first movie should be a summer blockbuster. Mm-hmm. I say, get ready to never make a movie because because <laughs> n- nobody's going to give you $300 million to make a summer blockbuster. And I think with games, it's similarly true is that if your vision is that when you sit down and you realize that this has to be a full-color game and it needs an app and it needs miniatures, well, then that probably shouldn't be your first game. Whether you could build something in that world, you could build out – you know just your cool intrigue mechanic or something as a as a neat as a cool pdf or something but there's an aspect in which i think realism also demands yeah, that, you, that you approach a game that your first produced game be something
0: i think there's an there's an aspect of you you do the best you can yeah right yeah but you can control what you can do by adjusting those hurdles for yourself yeah so like if the game really does need miniatures and an app and everything that doesn't mean don't do the game it means you know you do what you can and maybe what you can extends all the way up to Maybe you're an app developer and you can make your own app. Oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Or you have a friend who can help you out, you know, who can do that for you. Great. So, you know, you make all that happen and the miniatures are still out of your grasp, right? That doesn't mean that the game isn't worth doing. It just means that your choices now are either figure out how to do the game without the miniatures so you can get it out there as a version and be like, here's this game. Right. And there's an ultimate vision that I'll realize later. Or it's to say, okay, I'm going to wait until I can do the miniatures. I'm going to work on other things yeah. until I can come back and complete this game. Or you do a thing where, like, I'm going to invest in, I'm going to use this as a value neutral term, but I'm going to invest in all the marketing I can for this game. I'm going to make the promise of the game evident so that I can run a Kickstarter or I can do some kind of funding drive or I can find an investor mm-hmm. so I can get whatever resources I need to make the miniatures happen and then fulfill the promise. Those are all viable strategies to to get this this thing out there into the world. But being realistic about how to make that last step happen, if it's not within your current horizon of ability, I think is really healthy. And sometimes it means that a game gets delayed for a while because... You just can't make that last leap for whatever reason it may be.
1: And that's the thing is that if you want your first game, like you say, if it has an app and you think you can beat that hurdle, then then great, Mm -hmm. right? But if it's that somebody tells you well, right now all the best-selling games have apps or are compatible with this website right. or, or have the color miniatures right. or whatever or this game had
0: an app and it tanked
1: right yeah the, the advice goes the other direction exactly yeah. right don't let people put hurdles in front of you don't let them necessarily remove opportunities from you either mm-hmm. it's still your vision that you're right. still talking about and are, nobody and nobody knows anything the market when it comes yeah. to the, the games that are big that are big successes or that are great surprises are surprises right if ever if it was as easy as saying RPGs mm-hmm. are most successful when they' when, when they're between 200 and 300 pages yeah that's what they would all look like right. but it's not like there's it's not like we've solved this problem
0: well and also success is different right like yeah. it's it, it's not any conversation about how successful a game is needs to be within the parameters of for the goals of the creator right success for you maybe someone downloads your game and plays at a, at a convention
1: yeah right Absolutely. without you being
0: there that's success yeah you can change what you think success is. Once that happens, maybe you're like, okay, that was awesome.
1: Now I want to get 10 people to download it and yeah.
0: play it. Or yeah. now I want to make a physical book so that people can buy it, yeah. right? Like you can you can expand that as well.
1: Right, I, I should be clear. I'm using the example of the giant sales numbers or whatever, or the, or the top selling RPGs as an example of a fallacy. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is that somebody's going to tell you that's what success looks like. No, you get to decide mm-hmm. what success looks like for your game. Right. You set your goal. And if that new...
0: is your goal, then you're going to align your design and production towards getting those numbers, right? That's not impossible. It helps to be realistic about the alignment of skill and luck you're going to need to build a production house that is going to be hitting those top five
1: ICV2 lists. It's going to hit certain Amazon sales rankings or whatever. Right.
0: But it's not impossible. And if that's your goal, then that's great. Maybe your strategy is to start out small and grow, or maybe it's to come out of the gate with this enormous, beautiful game. Your game is still going to need to lend itself to that production right. at the end of the day. right So that still influences your game design decisions. So I think some specific take-home points out of this discussion hopefully for for you and I know for me are along the lines of having one of your, your validation points of your process be about that, that kind of minimum viable play experience. What do I need to produce in order for people to play this game in the in the way that is most realizing of its promise part of that can also be what's going to be the most cool awesome blingy version right of that but being mindful about what you need to make and what you would like to make i think that's a that becomes a, a fruitful conversation for yourself as you go through the production process
1: it's that moment of being able to to either circle or cross out a thing that then you're actually making the decisions as opposed to kind of just assuming I can't do playing cards Mm. I'm just gonna assume that I can't right well no no no. go visit drive-through cards visit the website visit visit a POD site find out whether or not you can do it Mm. make a decision about it deciding not to do something is
0: stronger than assuming you can't do something right and a lot of the time I know this happens to me while I'm investigating whether I can do something even if that's not what I end up doing, I'll discover another option. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is kind of a silly example, but I'm in the stage of figuring out the delivery stuff for the worldwide Wrestling supplement that production's going along. And I'm figuring out how I'm going to ship everything and all that stuff. And in the past, I've included like a little, a little note that I'm just like, you know, thanks so much for your support. And like I put that in the package and, and I've just like designed those and printed them on my home printer and cut them out and whatever. I was looking at it and I was like, man, I'm going to have to print out a lot of those things. Like, this is going to be kind of a kind of a pain. Uh, I wonder if I can just like print some cards. So I went to Moo.com because mm-hmm. I use them for my business cards. They were having a sale. So I was like, oh, they're using a, they're having a sale. This is a good time. I looked through their options. I was like, printing oh, postcards. It's going to be pretty expensive for what I want. And, you know, I don't want to just do like little business cards. So I was looking through their options and then I found their stickers. And I was oh, like, yeah. oh, the stickers are great. But the little stickers are really small. And I was like, hmm. But they have round stickers. that are like a little over an inch in diameter. Perfect. I can do little stickers and I can put them on the packaging, right? And they yeah. just say, thank you for supporting the Kickstarter. They, it's, they're they're relatively inexpensive. And you got a, a fair number of them, right? Yeah. Oh, they come out. Yeah. They, they come out. Nice yeah, numbers. Yeah. They, I had to order extra, uh, but I got like 500 or something like that. Nice. To hit there because they have a minimum based on the sheets that they print. But yeah. And so... Going through that process of what are my options for doing this thing, I came up to a thing that I was not thinking about at all, but you know, fit my budget for it. It's going to save me a ton of time, uh, and they're going to be really nice. They're just they're going to be this nice little slick, cute thing. And I discovered that because I looked at my options, as opposed to being like, oh, I'm just going to be cutting out pieces of paper forever. <laughs> so that's the that's that's my takeaway out of that out of that story. All right. So in addition to those, if the game itself does not demand a specific form factor or you do not have a specific form factor as part of the inspiration for the design, it is totally okay to just find out what the defaults are and design towards those. And designing into what's expected isn't a failure or giving up some kind of design sense either. Because designing towards what's expected means that you're gonna have more people understand what you're doing and understand what this is when they pick it up. Making a door look like a door is not a failure. Right, (laughs) exactly. in the absence of these these other drivers, just picking something that makes sense, is obvious, doesn't seem to cost too much, that you can figure out how to make it happen, those are all just lowering the barriers to getting your thing out into the world. And that's the goal.
1: Thanks for listening to the Design Games Podcast. Sometimes our conversations wander a bit afield, and so we package them as backer-only special episodes for our Patreon backers and supporters at patreon.com. To hear these episodes for yourself, visit patreon.com slash or patreon.com slash wordwill. What do people even say at the end of a podcast? What happens if it just